Amen. Please be seated. Please turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Isaiah, chapter 56. I did think for a moment to preach a special sermon on the occasion, this wonderful occasion of uh, our ordaining and installing new officers of the church. But as I looked ahead at the passage, I realized that um, as God's providence would have it, we have come to a portion in the text that deals directly with leadership. It takes an abrupt change now in chapter 56. Um, Chapter 56, almost through chapter 58, there is kind of an expose that we've seen before in this book. Now it's on the other side of God revealing his coming Messiah. So it's rooted in grace, and people have heard the message of grace. Many people have laid hold of the message of grace, looking forward to the finished work of the faithful servant. But still, there is sin in the nation, the people of God, and they will see discipline. So he is reminding them on the other side of this message of grace that there will be discipline coming. In fact, Isaiah um, dies at the beginning of Manasseh's reign, most scholars believe, the next king. And there's a series of bad kings as Israel, or Judah, I should say, dwindles down and is completely taken with the temple being destroyed in Babylon, um, basically assimilating them for the time until God relieves them out of their bondage. So it's a long epic of difficulty, and it starts with this expose of the leaders. And listen, when you take vows as a leader, like we read, all of us as leaders are freaked out by what we just took vows to. And you know as you read them that people only by God's grace can be faithful leaders. There is no leader who has some intrinsic worth about them that allows them to say yes to any of those vows. It's all with complete reliance upon the grace of God being showered upon us. It's all with complete reliance on that we're born again and that we're relying upon the Spirit of God doing a supernatural work. Because I saw a group of brothers I love, but they're a group of sinners. Uh, And what makes them able to do What God's called them to do is grace, God's grace through Christ. It's always that. And so with that, when we read such a terrible expose of the shepherds and watchmen of Israel, it really sets us back. Um, This is as bad a picture as one can have for leaders. But by God's providence, that's where we are in the text. And I think it helps us to gather in our minds what is a faithful watchman, what is a faithful shepherd that will crystallize as we see what poor ones are like, and really the curse that bad leaders are. Um, Even you might say how bad leadership may be in itself the result of the rebellion of the people. That's what they get. Whatever the case, we have it on display, verses 9 through 12. Here as I read God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word, which because of its being inspired, it is our authority. It is what we go to for how to live in reality about the world. Start at verse 9. All you beasts of the field, come to devour all you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They're all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. 
tough picture, tough picture of the spiritual leadership of Judah at this time. Lessons abound for us today. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your holy word. By the ministry of your spirit, please give us conviction and grace. Grace to change where we need to change, O Lord. Give us repentance where we need it. Lord, I do thank you for the godly men that you have called to lead this church over our short 23 plus years. I ask that you would alert us to our need for grace and leadership as we read of the unfaithfulness that it was practiced by the leaders in Judah at this time and we see throughout history repeating itself. Lord, we could be no different if it weren't for your grace. Lord, this unfaithfulness cost the people of God so much in the days of Isaiah and in other times and places. Steer us to our ultimate watchman, our ultimate shepherd, our ultimate leader, who is also our rock and our redeemer, the Lord Jesus himself. Pray this in his name. Amen. Today is a special day. Not only are we, not only have we ordained and installed new officers, but this is the 10th year today of our joining for corporate worship in this building. Now this building is is a tool in one respect, a place for us to gather, but it is a profession of what we think, and that is we just think God should be exalted. We don't want to be over the top about that, but we want to say, um, we just want to lift people to glorify God. That's what the building was built with that in mind. And of course, we know that can only happen as people are introduced to Christ. As they rest in his finished work and they can turn their gaze heavenward. They can't turn their eyes heavenward unless they rest in Christ. They'll be inward, they'll be on themselves, that's how we all are, until we come to Christ. So our, our role is to proclaim that message clearly and carefully and call people into fellowship to worship God together with him. And today's the 10th year that we have been in this place. God has been so grateful, or so graceful towards us and so wonderful towards us. And part of how that's evidenced, I really do believe, is through the leadership God has given us and graced us with. Um, we see in this passage what happens when the spiritual leaders of the people of God fall down. The context is right as Babylon's rising in power, Isaiah is calling the people of God to look upon Messiah, but he's also preparing them for, for discipline. They're going to go into exile. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. And a series of prophets will come after Isaiah. Nahum, Habakkuk are a couple of them. Zephaniah. And then, of course, the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. He sees the worst of it. But he's preparing them for this. And he's being honest with them about what has brought them to this place. Now, in this context, we have spiritual leadership that has failed. Yes, we know the kings were weak. Hezekiah was 50-50. But then Manasseh was horrible right after Hezekiah. But this address isn't so much about the civil leadership, although in Israel, civil and spiritual went together, for sure. Um, the, the lingo, though, for watchmen and shepherds, we get the idea, he's talking more about the priests and the elders of the people. Those are the people that were predominantly the tribal leaders of Israel at this time. It could be national or governmental leadership. When it's bad, it's a curse. It could be organizational leadership in a company or an institution. It's a curse when it's bad. It could be leadership in the church like we see here in general. It could be leadership in the home. When it's bad, it brings a curse. In fact, Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 29, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. There's a specific instance in view, and that's 
the lens through which we are looking. And what you see in verse 9 is a picture of roaming predators looking for something to pounce on. Now, make no mistake, God is sovereign over anything that happens to his people. Um, He uses nations, as we've already seen in Isaiah, to bring discipline. In this case, it's like he's calling for discipline, and all he has to do is let the enemies of God know that the guard is down. In other words, there are weak leaders tending the flock, and they come. In fact, I saw one of the most vivid uh, wildlife um, episodes ever when I was watching a show where there was two white-tailed bucks. There were full-grown antlers locked. One was dead. One had died by having its neck broken while they were fighting. The bigger one couldn't get the other one detached, so it's tried to run across the open prairie. Well, the coyotes saw the weakness of this big buck and started to come and actually ate the dead one while he was pulling it around, only waiting to tire the other one so it could jump on that one as well. That is a picture of what happens when the church is weak because of leadership that is poor. Um, The enemies of God and his church jump on the people of God when they see them weaken, and they're most weakened when their leaders are poor, when their leaders are bad, when their leaders are godless. That's the picture. It's it's an extreme picture for us. We'd hope to never see that happen in our midst. But it warns us about what happens when it does. And that's what we have before us. The enemies of God, you see initially here anyway, salivating as they see the church, the people of God, in such a weakened state because of godless leaders. Look at verse 9 and we see how this unfolds, this judgment that is coming to them. It's basically a summons to the, to the roaming beasts of the field and in the forest. It's as though God is calling the predatory beasts, um, calling to their attention the discipline that should come to his people, and his people are open to it because of the weakness in leadership. There are different kinds of beasts that roam, and he covers them both. All you beasts of the field, the ones that roam out in the open prairie, uh, and also those who are in the forest, who, who lurk around in the forest, they both look for the same thing. They want food. And they want the path of least resistance for that food because they need to fill their bellies. And so all such beasts come, look, there's easy pickings because of the weakness of the leaders of Israel. In fact, this description of these enemies of God who are looking for weakness, it resembles their leader. In 1 Peter chapter 5, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. An exact picture of, of what you imagine these predators that notice the weakness of God's people and how they're ready to pounce. Matthew Henry really captures it well when he says, the shepherds who should have been the watchmen of the flock to discover the approaches of the beasts of prey to keep them off and protect the sheep, they were treacherous and careless, minded their own business and made, and made no conscious effort to defend. And so the sheep became an easy prey to the wild beasts. You know, Isaiah witnessed this difficult downward spiral. He saw a few revivals during his time, but as we've been studying, we recognize it has been largely a difficult ministry for him watching the people of God. He's there to pave the way in the picture of Messiah to come, to give hope, to lay hold of grace, but this does not mean that they would escape some of these difficult disciplines. Many years after Isaiah, still before the very end of uh, Judah as a distinct nation for a time anyways, the prophet Jeremiah says, go, assemble all the wild beasts, bring them to devour. Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. Notice the difference between what Isaiah says. Isaiah calls out to the beasts that are circling, reading, 
Now in Jeremiah's time, go assemble the wild beasts. In other words, the time is now. It's, it takes time, but it's going to happen, and we see it happens eventually. This was part of the discipline process that God was bringing to Judah at this time. And there are timeless lessons for us. A major lesson when observing the history of Israel is the pain and misery that, that God's people are subjected to when their leaders are godless. This gives us as leaders in the church a great um, urgency about our reliance upon God and his grace for the leading we do. Um, it, is, it should scare us a little bit to see what happens when we are faith, unfaithful. We need strong, grace-filled, spiritually vibrant leaders in the church. You know, one example of this exact feature I want you to hear closely is when the Apostle Paul had worked to plant Ephesus, one of the strongest churches in the New Testament era. Uh, Timothy came later and served as a pastor there. We know from history and from what the text tells us or, or reveals. But as Paul was leaving Ephesus, he was worried about what would happen after he left. He had appointed elders uh, to watch over the flock, but knowing this dynamic about poor leadership being such a curse and such a difficulty for the people of God in history, listen to what he says in Acts chapter 20 as he's leaving. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He had trained men to be in that role. He had mentored men to be in that role. And he speaks out loud what their role is to be. Watchmen and shepherds. The very thing that the shepherds of Judah were not. And we are seeing the results. Let's look at some of the common traits that are revealed by the passage. In verses 10 down to verse 12, you will see what Kylan Dalich quantify this way. Israel has prophets and shepherds who are blind to every coming danger and therefore fail to give warning of its approach because they are sunken in selfishness and debauchery. What we have in Isaiah 56 is what happens over time as leadership degrades. It gets to the point where they're outright godless. They're not even born again. But it didn't just happen that way overnight. Something happened before that allowed for this, that brought them to this point. That's where we gain our warning. But let's look at the depiction of these godless leaders. Do we see where it, where, it, where it goes? First, we see they are spiritually blind and ignorant. His watchmen, verse 10, are blind. They are without knowledge. Uh, what more important attribute could a watchman have than to see clearly? But they were blind. They could not see. They couldn't see the perils. They could not recognize them. They couldn't tell what was dangerous. Um, they could not find a more worthless watchman than a blind one. And they were blind and they didn't even have knowledge. Um, um, they just were unable to discern spiritually. That's usually what the scripture means when it talks of blindness. It will use the physical blindness, blindness to describe the lack of spiritual life and perspective. Unable to see which is spiritual. Faithful leaders have to be born again. They have to be spiritually alive by God's grace through Christ. I remember one of the first books that I, I had to read when I got to seminary was a book called The Reformed Pastor. 
And at that time, I was naive into thinking that only people, the only people who want to go into being a pastor are people who want to tell people about Christ. I mean, who would go into pastoring um, that didn't believe in Jesus? But I'm reading this ancient book that says in the first chapter, check to see if you're regenerate yourself. I thought, whoa. Since then, I know exactly why it's written, because I've been written, I, I know many unregenerate people who stand in pulpits. And they're exactly the sum total of this judgment that you have here before. They, they have to be able to discern spiritually so they can detect what needs to be warned about. Our shepherds have to cry wolf when there is a wolf or wolves. They can't act like wolves are our friends or won't hurt us. What else do we notice? Again in verse 10, this description Dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. They are preoccupied with the present. They are content only with the present. They're not thinking ahead. They're not considering the future. They're not considering that which is around them. The dogs have, mighty, uh, have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. Now, the dogs don't get a great description here. I'm just telling you, nothing against dog owners. Of course, I just want you to know. But a dog that, that doesn't bark when it should warn is worthless, right? I mean, isn't it, can't we agree that that would be a worthless dog? Uh, if you just step over the dog on the way to burglarizing a house, that's not a good dog, okay? These are the shepherds of Israel at this time. They can't give warning because they're dead to it, and they're so preoccupied with the present, they only care about their next meal. In fact, that's an interesting feature of dogs and other animals, that they could be um, loving and wonderful and snuggly, but man, when they get hungry, um, akin only maybe to a teenage boy, they turn into something different. They've got to have that next meal, and they can't think of anything past the next meal, and so therefore, um, they're focused on the now until I get fed, and that's what the shepherds of Judah were like. They only cared about the here and the now, their own appetite. They were self-focused. Faithful leaders look ahead. They plan. They're considering all things. They're not just stuck on today. But notice the description here. They are not even in a position of readiness to defend. Verse 10, dreaming. They're lying down, loving to slumber. Their posture is leisure. They're just taking this very leisurely. They're not expecting anything. They're not aware. They're not alert. They're lounging. Even if they were sensitive to danger, they would not be ready to engage a predator. I remember when my boys were younger, we would wrestle a lot. And when they were younger and smaller, I would taunt them from the couch, throw the pillow at them, tell them to bring it on. And usually from the couch, I could take them out. It wasn't too hard. I could pin them almost from the couch, just boom. I don't do that anymore. Now, I've done enough mental damage over the years to make them think I'm more special than I am, but as they've gotten bigger and stronger, I know what's good for me, and that ain't good for me. You know what I do now? When my youngest son is laying on the couch, I jump on him before he can do anything. And then if, once I realize he won't fight back, I just give him a hug, like all I ever meant to do is give you a hug, son, but a little reminder. Because he's leisure. He's laying on the couch. He's not going to be able to do anything to defend. The shepherds of Judah were in a terrible position. They were lounging. They were, they were soaking up today. And they were in no place or position to defend when stuff came upon them. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared. They're lazy. Verse 10 also describes that same thing. They love to slumber. We know what this means. It has to do with being unwilling to do the necessary work. Um, I have a cousin, great guy, not a believer. Does not know Christ, has not proclaimed Christ even in the years since this story takes place. But I remember going back home to western New York, and he said, Tony, you're a Presbyterian, right? And he goes, I am too, he told me. And he's, I said, you are. I said, I never knew him to go to church my whole life, and he's never said anything about trusting in Christ. He goes, yeah, I'm an elder in my church too now. 
I was shocked because I'm sure he had never opened a Bible, let alone. And I said, well, interesting. What, what's your role? What do you do? He goes, oh, I don't have to do much. I mean, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't have much time to do it anyways. But, I mean, they just, everybody kind of more or less takes their turn being an elder at some point. The pastor pretty much runs things. But uh, we take our turns and we do our part. So I'm an elder, kind of like you, he said. And I thought to myself, uh, wow, um, he, he doesn't want to put any work in it. He doesn't know what the role is, and he doesn't want to spend any energy on it. It's just a name on a board or on the bulletin, whatever. That is not, not what an elder is. That's not what a deacon is. Um, the elders and deacons in our church are very busy people in their lives, and they commit, and I watch it over and over again, they commit to spending even more time serving the church. But here we have those who love to slumber, and they're selfish. Verse 11 really captures this selfishness. They have a mighty appetite, returning to this metaphor that's so vivid. They never have enough. Um, they're always, they're always um, doing things for themselves, trying to better their situation, and they're never satisfied. They never have enough. Uh, but they are shepherds that ha- who have no, un- no understanding. So they're watchmen in verse 10 and they're shepherds, but they're awful at both. They don't do any of what these terms describe. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Brothers and sisters, you know that one of the prime pictures of our God is his sacrificial love for his people, to give his own son for us. I mean, if there's anything, you know, at the base level, it's that God is willing to send his own son to die for us, sacrificial. Um, The model of the faithful servant early in Isaiah is the model for all God's leaders, all God's people, self-sacrificial, to be willing to lay our lives down for others. These leaders were in a place of personal gain. That's what they were driving after. They sought their own interests before the interests of others. They have a mighty appetite, it says in verse 11. They never have enough, but they are shepherds who have no understanding. This outlook was fueled by their unbelief and their spiritual ignorance. In Brothers and sisters, it's easiest for to pick out stereotypes today in American evangelicalism and think of you know, people that are out for their own gain and so forth. But let's just take it home. Ourselves personally, if we as a community are not selfless, if we don't look for ways to help one another, to lay our lives down for one another, and then by extension, be that way in our community, um, that's a death knell for a community in its proclamation of the gracious gospel we've been given. Um, we are to be unified, Jesus prays in John 17, we are unified as we sacrifice for one another in all ways that we can. And that brings us closer together, and that describes for a world that Jesus is true. That's what it says in John 17. And so this selfishness you see here, there's no wonder there was no salt effect with Judah any longer. Um, The beasts were circling, ready to come and get them. Faithful leaders are like their Savior, who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Also notice in verse 12, they drag their followers down with them. Inevitably, this seems to be so logical to us, but we see it on vivid display. Verse 12, they say to everyone around them, hey, come, let us get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink. I mean, they'll benefit from this too. And tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. We'll just, let's just live this way. They drag them into this sin. Matthew Henry, again, with such wisdom, writes, The watchmen did thus invite and encourage one another to drink to excess. Or they courted the people to sit and drink with them. And so confirmed those in their wicked ways and hardened their hearts, whom they should have have reproved. How could they think it any harm to be drunk when the watchmen themselves joined with them 
and led them to it. So shameless are these leaders that they invite the people to sin. I referred to Jeremiah a little bit ago and how it gotten even worse in his time. Well, fast forward to Ezekiel and listen to what Ezekiel says in chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? So this is a repeating theme. Bad leadership is a curse to the people. And where there's wicked leadership, like Solomon says, the people groan. Solomon even saw a bit of it in his own life and kingdom. This is why Jesus says very vividly when he watches the Pharisees, the leaders of the church in that day, at that existence, in that time of existence in Israel, he says in Matthew 15, let them alone, they're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. This is certainly the case with Judah here. The blind were leading the blind and God's enemies were circling. We've touched a bit on what faithful leaders look like, but I would like us to conclude by looking at verse, the terms in verse 10 and verse 11 and finish there. Verse 10 calls the leaders watchmen. Catch that? We've said it a few times. Watchmen. They're supposed to be watching. Watching out for the people. They're in verse 11 called shepherds. Shepherds, uh, that's another level of, that's intimate, that's caring for. In fact, Watchmen are usually in a high place looking out to see where danger is coming. And they're strategic, they're planning, they're looking for, they're supposed to be the ones in the community that are suspicious of some things. They at least check them out. And that's what watchmen do. That's what faithful watchmen do. Alert, aware, knowledgeable. Shepherds, that's a more personal term for what the leaders are to do. They have the role of tending the sheep. That's feeding the sheep. That has to do with protecting the sheep. That has to do with guiding the sheep. That has to do with rescuing them when they might get into danger. That has to do with disciplining the sheep as well. Leaders in the church function as watchmen and shepherds. In particular, this is the parallel for the elders of the church. The role of the deacons is devised in New Testament times by God's direction in order to help the elders so that the way would be clear for them to do this oversight. There's so many physical needs. There's so many difficulties and strains and sufferings people undergo. The deacons are alert to that to help alleviate that so that the word of God could have entrance. Because it's real when physical things happen. It's not, it's not something we should get over. We, gotta, we have to tend to that. And the deacons help with that so the elders can do their work. And in tandem, you see how this leadership acts as watchmen and shepherds. The Apostle Peter when he gives a a word of exhortation to the leaders, it paints the picture. I want you to hear closely. Even if you're not an elder or a deacon, um, you are called to be supportive of the leaders in the church. This This will help you know what that looks like, to encourage that, pray for that. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. See how this is the exact opposite of the shepherds of Judah? Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And here's the only way this can happen. I want you to hear this so closely. This is not about, okay, let's look at the Judah, the terrible leaders in Judah, and we're just going to do better. No, you're not. No, we won't, except for one reason that we would do different. Verse 4 in 1 Peter 5. And when the chief shepherd appears, 
Who's the chief shepherd? Christ is a chief shepherd. We're just under shepherds. We're, we're gloriously privileged under shepherds to have him as our chief shepherd. That's how it can work. When our chief shepherd appears, you, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, that gives us any capacity to function as these leaders God calls us to be. And to the church, the humility that's necessary to be subject to one another. It's this beautiful, supernatural thing that happens in the body of Christ that displays Jesus for who he really is. It's supernatural because it's not natural for us to listen to other people or subject ourselves to other people. When we think we're right, we think we're right. Who are you to tell me? And to be subject to that, to submit to that, is such a display of the same kind of spirit God shows us when he gives his own son for us. We are to trust what he places in our midst for our betterment and for our good and for the church's growth. Our church is in a 23rd year or so. It's a particular church. Ten years in the sanctuary, and I do honestly believe, I can say this with all honesty, there's no reason for me to make it up, and if you know me long enough, I don't make a lot. Pretty much what you see is what I think. And I think we have some of the most wonderful elders and deacons in this church. I have loved, I've loved ministering here. I mean, um, any time I'd ever think about it being anywhere else, other than all of you loving you so much, I just think of this group of what a rarity I feel like it is to have this group. Now, I say that with caution because I know how easy it is for sin to come in to all of us. But I, I want to express that to say we should recognize that's not the natural way things go with people, so it could only be God's grace. So we should rely even more on God's grace for this going forward. Earlier, I read a description for an elder that comes from our book of church order, which I think is so wonderfully and wisely put together. I want to close just by reminding you of what it says. So to remind our leaders, but also to remind our membership of the importance of this role that God has called and that we have um, taken effort today to ordain and install uh, some new brothers to these spots and pray for us and for them as you think of it. The office of elder is one of dignity and usefulness. The man who fills it has in scripture different titles expressive of his various duties. As he has the oversight of the flock of Christ, he is termed bishop or pastor. These are all synonymously used. As it is his duty to be grave and prudent, an example to the flock, and to govern well in the house and kingdom of Christ, he is termed a presbyter or an elder. Many titles to pronounce one office. Really simply, from Isaiah, he's a watchman and he's a shepherd. It says further, and I conclude with, he that fills this office should possess a competency of human learning and be blameless in life, sound in the faith, and apt to teach. I think this means he's transparent, he's real, you know who he is. He's able, he's got gifts to be able to make the word of God plain to you. This is not just true of teaching elders, it's true of all elders. So if, if our ordained eldership, let's say our teaching elders, Nathan and I, or Aaron, who's training to become ordained, um, if we just were incapacitated, any one of our elders could step up and accurately bring the word of God to you, the people of God, because they're apt to teach. He should exhibit a sobriety and holiness of life becoming the gospel. It belongs to those in the office of elder to watch diligently over the flock committed to his charge, 
that no corruption of doctrine or of morals enter therein. They must exercise government and discipline and take oversight not only of the spiritual interests of the particular church, not just here we should think about the wider church, but also the church generally when called thereunto. Just four verses from Isaiah in the midst of our study of Isaiah, and we see the curse of bad leadership. On the day that we ordain five men to ordained office, let it be a day of renewed support and prayer for faithful leadership in the church by God's grace under the great shepherd, Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the grace uh, that you have given uh, to bless us with spiritually mature, self-sacrificing, grace-filled under-shepherds. But Lord, I could say as one of those under-shepherds, we, we do feel the weight of our inadequacies. We feel the weight of our failure. And we know, Lord, that this is meant to drive us to Jesus, and I pray that you would do just that so that everybody would follow that example, run to Christ, go to Christ with everything that they have in weakness and in need. Lord, we take nothing for granted. Lord, as a leadership team, together with the able ministry of the deacons, please give lasting faithfulness to our leaders so that your church may be strong in your word and your gospel. Please bless our session and our diaconate with passion for Christ and genuine deep love for your people that we would lay our lives down for this congregation. I ask this in the name of our King and our Chief Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.